and welcome to PCTY Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson. During our time together, we'll stay close to the news and info you need to succeed as an HR pro. And together, we'll explore topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, and real life HR situations we face every day. On today's episode, I have with me Rashawn Blumberg. He is an extraordinary human being. Um, I'm so excited that he was able to join us. He is co-founder of 10X Management, 10X Ascend, and co-author of the book Game Changer. So Rashawn, thank you so much for jumping on with me. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you. So I wanted to start by asking, how did you and Michael, your other co-author, your partner in crime, get here in your journey to this moment with a successful book and three successful companies underneath your belt? Well, my mom met my dad in um, the 60s and that, you know, transpired into a marriage and then the birth of me in 1969. And the rest is history. That's that's <laughs> kind of the answer you're looking for, right? That's, that about sums it up. Maybe a little bit more details. Uh, <laughs> Just a, okay, so that's too high level. Got it. All right, I'm going to drill down a little bit there. Um, I actually think that th- that that sort of is the way it happened because the backdrop of New York City, um, especially in the in the 1980s, I think is it played a very pivotal role for myself and my partner Michael because we both grew up here in, in New York City and have known each other since third grade. But I think really growing up in New York and being surrounded uh, by a lot of people whose parents were in the entertainment world really was uh, very eye-opening for both of us. Um, You know, a lot of people we knew were either musicians or um, just loved music in general and, and, you know, loved, uh, you know, to sort of track musicians and producers and songwriters and stuff like that. And and for us, we had a different perspective because we saw the people behind the scenes, the business managers, the entertainment lawyers, the artist managers. Um, And that was really, I would say, our first introduction into what a 10xer is because we were we grew up sort of pretty close friends with Bruce Springsteen's co-manager um, and in the book we talk about Bruce Springsteen being the first 10xer that we ever encountered and obviously we didn't know what the 10x concept was at that point um, but that that backdrop really sent us down a certain road um, we both had very entrepreneurial spirits and so um, growing up in New York, we were kind of the guys that would like rent out loft spaces and, and make cut deals with beer distributors and promote um, parties around the city. And, and then when I went uh, on to college, I ended up being the uh, head of the concert committee there for basically three and a half years of the four years I was at school. Um, and then as when I graduated, I went to work for a concert promoter in New York City. Um, and then that really started my my. Uh, traveled down the road of working with talent. Um, the one company you didn't mention in your intro is Brickwall Management, which is an artist management and entertainment consulting firm that Michael Solomon and I started in 1995. Um, and that was really, you know, our first foray into working with talent. And the concept of working with talent and thinking of people as talent really is the backdrop of the book Game Changer. And it's kind of the backdrop of our entire career. So I didn't know that we had that one thing in common. I also was president of our concert committee in college. So such an interesting fact. You know, you took, you and Michael took the work that you did in the music industry um, and turned it into helping people in the tech industry. 
with the companies that you've created and, and, you know, just, you go into quite depth in your book, but I'm curious, how did that passion really come to life where you guys landed on, we want to help talent be the best they can be and help employers identify the best kind of talent? You know, I wish you you articulated that incredibly well, and I wish we had as as good an articulation when we first thought of the concept. It really was much more free form, um, and an and an outcropping of both what we saw in entertainment and sports, and also what we experienced firsthand in trying to find and work with uh, tech freelancers um, for about fifteen years prior to starting Ten X Management. So it was less necessarily about. Uh, working with talent and protecting talent, that's something that we kind of realized after the fact that was a through line for our career. It was much more about trying to solve very specific problems that we were having ourselves and that we anticipated other people were having in the marketplace. And that's sort of two different problems. The one side of it is the talent side, which is that we were working with these people, the freelancers that we were finding, and we found that they often weren't staying on scope. They didn't communicate all that well. And frankly, they weren't negotiating particularly well for how to structure the deals that we were striking with them. Um, so on the one hand, we're like, we wish there was a way to professionalize that aspect of it. And then on the other side, as the people who are trying to find this talent at the time to, you know, to build products for our, our clients and for the entertainment world, we just didn't have great resources to go to. So we we're like, wouldn't it be great if companies had a pre-vetted outlet to go to, to find talent that they could rapidly onboard and start working with? So that was really the genesis of the company. It was like, okay, here are the problems that we're seeing ourselves. And for years, by the way, we never thought that we could be a solution. We were just like, these are problems, right? And then as people started to talk about tech talent as rock stars, for us, it was a little bit of a light bulb moment. We're like, huh, okay, you know you were seeing like uh, celebrity chefs and cele chefs had agents. And so you're seeing this diversity, diversification of what talent is. Um, and it was a little bit of a light bulb moment and, and we just sort of baby stepped into it. And that's how we ended up in, in the role that we're in now. I, I think so many amazing ideas come from either a question that you have that nobody else is solving or like a true passion for side hustle. And clearly your, your upbringing, you guys definitely have the game on the side hustle and, and trying to solve problems. You know, you've been knee deep in this talent economy. How have you seen it change in the last 18 months with, you know, everything that's happening in the world? Well, let me take it back even further. I'll definitely focus on the pandemic itself. But when we first started 10X, um, which was in 2011, before we truly formulated the company. We didn't have a company name at that point, um, but we were representing some people in 2011. When the, when our clients would tell the companies that they wanted to work with or that wanted to work with them, here, talk to my agent, it was some sort of foreign concept. It was like, what do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? Um, and we definitely experienced that probably for the first couple of years. Um, so one of the first major transitions that we saw is just an understanding in the marketplace that the sort of talent economy, gig economy was something legitimate that they could utilize and take advantage of. And there were some structures beginning to be formulated in that, in that arena. Um, the last 18 months though, has been super interesting to a certain degree. You know, most of Game Changer was written prior to the pandemic starting. We, we wrote and rushed into the book, a forward specifically pandemic related, um, 
But it was super interesting to see many of the concepts that we talk about in the book come to, come to fruition really, really quickly. I mean, basically what we've seen in the last 18 months or two years is, or almost two years, is like 10 years worth of marketplace innovation happening overnight, essentially. Um, so most of the clients that we worked with prior to the pandemic were working remotely already. I want to say maybe it was 85%. The other 15% were on, on site. So we already had a really good viewpoint into the benefits and efficiency of remote work. Um, so from our standpoint and the standpoint of the clients that we represent, the pandemic posed no issues, right? I mean, it was like our guys were all up and running remotely. They knew how to do that stuff. They knew how, how to interface with customers and companies. Um, so it was a lot of catch-up ball in the marketplace. Um, now, this great resignation that we're seeing now, it, it doesn't surprise me a ton. Uh, again, I think that this is 10 years worth of um, marketplace innovation happening overnight, essentially. But we talk about this. One of the main things that we talk about in the book, and the book is split up between what companies need to be doing in order to 10x themselves to be hospitable for high-performing talent, and then what individuals need to do. And one of the main through points for companies is, is about culture, loosely is about culture. And I think what we're seeing largely is a culture clash with what workers want and what companies offer. Some of that is straight dollars and cents. Like, you know, I don't want to work for $12 an hour somewhere. And, and so I'm, I'm just not going to do it. Um, and some of it is just like, I don't, I want to identify my work life with something that's more meaningful to what resonates with me. Because I think people are like, life is short, life is crazy and life is unpredictable. I want to do something that's a little bit more meaningful. So, you know, those are the, the biggest things I've seen. And for me, the catchphrase of the pandemic as it relates specifically to, to talent and companies is intentionality. And what I mean by that is that companies that are working with employees or freelancers had to go from water cooler moments or moments where they could just stop by somebody's office to having to intentionally create opportunities to engage. Um, and I think that that intentionality in a lot of ways plays into a lot of the things we talk about in the book, which is a much more bespoke relationship between companies and management and talent. We, we'd like to think of employees as talent as opposed to employees, because I think it, it changes the dynamic of who it is that you are employing. You know, LeBron James is not an employee of the Lakers, right? He's, much, he's way too important for that. And you, every employee should be thought of as talent because you're all very important. Um, to, to the company that you're working for. Uh, but that intentionality, to me, is one of the best takeaways from the pandemic is that I think companies can't really take for granted the employees in the same way because you don't have those water cooler moments. Absolutely. You know, I want to read a quote from your book. To attract, motivate, and retain talent in the new workplace, a deeper understanding of the game-changing 10x revolution is now essential. So for those that have read the book, they'll know that this next question isn't a simple one, but, but I'll ask it anyways. How do you define what the 10X revolution is? So the 10X revolution is a combination of a few things, which starts with technology. So even though we use technology broadly, the, the vertical in, as a backdrop in the book, when I'm talking about technology, I'm, I'm literally talking about the technology that any company, whether you consider yourself a technology company or not, has to employ. Um, Technology has advanced so significantly that companies are able to do way more with a lot less. 
Um, that's great for, say, the stock market, which is booming because there's a lot of efficiency in the marketplace. Um, it's maybe not so great because you don't have to employ as many people and therefore there aren't as many jobs available. That used to be you know, a mindset of mine where I was like, oh my gosh, what are people going to do? Now, of course, people are resigning left and right. There are tons of job opportunities, but not enough employees to fill them. So it's, it's a little bit paradoxical to what I had expected. But a lot of that revolution has to do with the fact that every employee that you have, A, you should think of as talent because they're unique. And B, you've got to get more out of them because they're doing more and you have fewer resources. You can't just throw bodies at it. I use the example of the movie Office Space, which hopefully you and, and your audience have seen before. Um, and, you know, the manager walking around looking for TPS reports and asking people to come in over the weekend. It doesn't really know what people do and maybe not even their names. You know, you could just back in the day, you could throw bodies at problems. And, you know, you would just solve problems by having more and more and more employees. Today, it's the opposite. You solve problems by having fewer employees. And by having fewer employees, it means that every employee you do have has to be that much better. So the talent, the 10X revolution really uh, is about this combination of the efficiency of technology merged with the greater responsibilities that each individual employee has. And if companies can't find those people that can rise to the standards that they, they need to be able to innovate the products of tomorrow, they're going to fail. Um, so that's really what it's about. I really do appreciate the the kind of format of the book that speaks to, you know, employers and management, and then also to the to the talent itself, because I think sometimes we miss that piece that you know having a bespoke manager is so important for talent success. So I really appreciated that you know it covered that. You know, you also talk in the book. You and Michael also talk in the book about the Jahari window. And really focusing specifically on that second window, which is the blind area, those which others know about you and you do not, also known as blind spots. You know, when you started practicing asking for feedback specifically to these blind spots, what was that experience like and what advice do you have for people who want that type of feedback now? Awkward. It was definitely awkward. Uh, it's still awkward. <laughs> I mean, anytime you're asking for feedback, you don't really know what you're going to get. Um, and I think that's part of the interesting part of it is you may think you know everything, but you probably don't. Um, and as it relates specifically to what we talk about in the book, the idea here is that you're, as a manager, you get to know your employees, the people who are underneath you, who you're responsible for well enough that you can start seeing some of these things, whether it's traits that they don't really realize about themselves, positive or negative, or other kinds of blind spots. Maybe they make these same mistakes over and over again. Only by really getting yourself involved with who each individual person is on your team and, and truly knowing who they are, can you start to make inferences like that? Um, yes, we certainly talk about beyond that. We, we think the individual needs to be reaching out to people below them, adjacent to them and above them to try and get feedback because you really don't know where you're performing unless you can put that against how other people think you're performing. You may think you're doing phenomenally and somebody else may think you're a complete knucklehead. Um, so it's all part of the learning process, which is foundational for being a 10X or continuously learning and upskilling. And part of that is understanding where your blind spots are, where your flaws are, and also what are the, some of the positive attributes? I mean, no good manager would just point out blind spots and negatives. So they, they have to understand the positives as well to be able to wrap that into a nice little bundle. I think that definitely aligns with what we're seeing in the HR space around 
performance reviews being more holistic, getting feedback from your peers, you know, your performance balanced alongside how your team's doing, you know, employing this tactic of asking for feedback more often and in this way and really being vulnerable, I think is going to help for sure. You know, you and Michael have both deployed empathy tactics when working with 10X talent. What's your advice to HR professionals listening on how to help leaders really embrace the value of empathy um, and high emotional intelligence as they work with the talent around them? You know, I, I think it's a good question. And I wish there was sort of a real straightforward answer because empathy is one of those things. It comes natural to some people. And, you know, I, I do think it sort of comes natural to, to me and Michael. Um, it can be learned and it can be taught, but sometimes people just don't get it. And sometimes people just don't care. Um, so I would say that the key to, you know, good management and practicing empathy is, has got to be a top-down thing. So it's got to start with the CEO or the, the senior most staff, they need to show empathy below them and then continue to enforce that. One of the things that we, we do in our office is we have core values and those core values are framed and they're uh, you know, on the wall of our, of our office and we try to live those every single day. So part of it is, is and this, is, this goes to the culture that I was talking about earlier, a company that wants to make empathy and, and treat their employees very uh, empathetically, they need to, to express that uh, you know, from a cultural standpoint. And you can't just sort of express it and put it in a drawer. You have to express it and live it every single day. So I think it goes back to my word intentionality. You have to be very intentional about these things. People need to understand why perhaps you, you want to do one-on-ones with them every week uh, or, you know, it, just arbitrarily uh, bringing these topics up of maybe, like, like I said, doing a one-on-one each week. Somebody may be, may, one person may be like, you know, that's so annoying. It's another meeting. If the manager explains, like, look, I'd really like to get to know you better. I'd like to understand what makes you tick. I'd like to understand the things that I can do to support you on a day-in, day-out basis. And the way that I think that, that we can help to achieve that is, is really by getting together each week and talking through things. It doesn't even necessarily need to be work-related. It can be personal. It can be whatever. Um, you know, getting making the time to understand who somebody is holistically, as you said, is, is incredibly vital. Um, and it then creates an atmosphere where that kind of give and take is more forthcoming. I personally, I would like to do away with performance reviews. Um, I think that it should be done in real time. Um, yes, there probably should be a time and place for one-on-ones like I'm talking about, but I'd prefer to have it weekly or monthly, uh, something much more frequently, because if you're doing something quarterly or, or twice a year or even annually, God forbid, you know, can you imagine the amount of things that pile up that, that have to go into an annual review? Um, so, so it's got to be much more intentional, much more real time. Um, and, you know, you have to sort of live that, that empathy 24 7, 365. I totally agree. You know, what advice do you have right now for employers who are seeking top talent during, quote, the great resignation, as it's being termed? Because um, it seems to be a very competitive market right now. Well, for starters, I definitely think you need to evaluate and potentially reevaluate the culture of the company. Um, the best selling point for any company would be other employees talking positively. So glass door reviews, things like that, if those start popping up with a lot of negative negativity, it's going to be more and more challenging. I mean, Uber literally ousted their founder almost 
not exclusively, there were a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons is, you know, it was just a toxic work environment. Um, and nobody really wants to work in a toxic work environment all that long. I read the WeWork book uh, not too long ago, and, and that was a similar type situation. You know, there was a really, both of those were very disruptive companies. And from the why of the companies made sense, but the why seemed to get lost in the day-to-day -day treatment of staff and employees. And, you know, that stuff really, uh, you know, contained to companies. So I think that it's, it's evaluating your culture. Are you putting forth the reasoning for the purpose of why people should work for your company? What is the purpose? Why should people care about what you do? Um, and how do you treat your employees? It, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to pay the best. You just have to have all those other things sur surrounding a salary that are super positive so that people you know, talk about your company and proselytize about your company. Um, I'd say that that's the most important thing right now. Sure, salary matters. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of studies that say people really making over $70,000, it's it's not the money that matters at that point. $70,000 seems to be about the point of of satisfaction of, of basic needs, of most basic needs. Um, so as long as you're paying a reasonably competitive salary, if the culture of your company is great and you can really tout that and the people that are at the company believe it and, and live it and feel it, you're going to have a much easier time than your competitors. I love that advice. Um, you and Michael always seem to be working on something exciting next. So my last question for you is, what's next? What are you working on right now that you and Michael are excited about? You know, what we're really focused on, um, especially for 2022, but I, I can see this being something uh, pushing forward even further. We spent probably the first decade at 10X Management trying to figure out how to find the right customer, meaning... How do we find that person who has the need at the moment that they have the need? Um, and that's been you know, fruitful and difficult in many different ways. But what we've started to realize is we do attract customers. We do find customers. The key, I think, to the success and the future success for us is improving the process internally to help ensure that the ability to close the customers that we get increases, right? So let's say we close at a 20% rate. If we can get that up to 22% or 25%, um, that's a huge change all of a sudden. So it's really about focusing internally on what we can do to better support the team, um, which is, by the way, it's, you know, it's not, not dissimilar from what we talk about in the book and not dissimilar to what we were just talking about with companies. It's a little bit of introspection to see where we can improve on things. Um, and that's being carried out with a blend of comments from our employees, um, from customers that we work with, um, from sort of a strategy consultant that we work with. We're really trying to figure out what our internal processes can, how we can improve our internal processes um, to make not only the work environment better for our employees, but more successful overall for the company. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to see what you guys produce next. I'm it's really exciting seeing what you guys are working on. And of course, in the show notes, I'll put links to all of your companies and, and the book. I definitely recommend it. It's something that I read cover to cover, wrote a ton of notes in. So I think it's a huge value Love if you're that. trying to understand what to do with your talent right now and um, and really how to be a bespoke manager. I absolutely loved that concept. So Rashawn, thank you so much for jumping on with me. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing I would uh, leave your audience with, we have um, a website for the book called GameChangerTheBook.com, where we have a test that you can take to see how far down the 10x spectrum you are, or you can take it on behalf of your company to see how far down the spectrum they are. It's fun. It's short. 
um, and it might give you a little bit of insight. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Paylocity, a leading HCM provider that frees you from the tasks of today so you can focus more on the promise of tomorrow. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email us at pctytalks at paylocity.com.